Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. So let me start off with a question this morning for all of you. Is there anything in your life, past acts, things that you've done, things that have been done to you, anything about your appearance, you, you fill in that specific blank. Anything about that makes you believe that it is literally impossible for you to ever experience any consistent happiness or joy or peace in your life. And you continue to hear these inner voices bounce back and forth in your head saying, I, I am what I am, and you believe that. And that you cannot change, and you believe that one too. And that really where I'm at in my life, it seems like really it's a hopeless situation, and, and you believe that. And you begin to carry on with your life saying things like, I, I just can't help myself, or that's the way that I've always been and always will be, or you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And we continue to believe these lies over and over, and we get hooked on the fact that because we are this way, others should really have low expectations of us. And that we live in shame or blame or guilt or anger, whatever that may be for you, because it's just easier to hide behind and rest in than to actually work through and put yourself out there a little bit more. Maybe we find some strange kind of comfort in our personal feelings. Perhaps there's some sort of security, really, in accepting ourselves as much less than we actually can become in our life, because that minimizes the risk of failure, doesn't it? Certainly, if we expect little about ourselves, we will seldom be disappointed in our life. Because for some of us, we live there. We live there because it's safe. It's not healthy, but it's, but it's safe. And somehow, we were told or learned through society norms that everyone else does it, so I'm going to do the same thing everybody else does. And I just keep wearing this mask that I'm okay. And I'm just going to go on with life thinking that everything is just normal. For others, it's, it's wearing a mask of busyness so that we can hide behind your shame or blame or guilt or whatever that looks like for you by, by making yourself look good and normal by, by doing, right? And trying to be perfect for others all the while inside, it's screaming really in pain because your most desperate and deepest needs aren't really being met in your life. And there's this massive void. And this lie over and over in your head says, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm not enough, I'm, I'm not enough. And some of us have been hooked on this life for, for a long time, so we've been wearing this mask in our life that, that fakes like you're, you're not enough, right? And, and you're not, according to you, that is. We create these masks for various reasons. We create masks in our life to cover pain, and so we wear these smiley face masks when everything in our lives is crashing down around us, and we're, we're afraid to remove these masks because if... If we do, we don't really want to appear vulnerable, right? We don't want to actually admit that we're actually not okay and that we need some help in our life. We create masks to hide our fears, fear of failure, the fear of not fitting in, the fear that we just don't measure up in the world. And to remove these kind of masks would mean to actually admit that we're weak or that we're lonely or that we're imperfect, right? And that's really hard to do. Other masks wrap some of our shame, and these masks really give us the illusion of self-confidence, right? It's the one I wear. 
Looks like I have a lot of self-confidence. Well, you're going to hear throughout this message that that's really not the case. Because even when we really feel worthless, right, or when our lives are less satisfying, that's what we feel. And we put on this mask, right? I'm not enough. I am not enough. And so you see, masks really act as distractions in our life to keep outsiders from really seeing our flaws, I mean, who likes to do that, right? We, then we direct our attention and our own to the aspects of ourselves that we really like the most, that make us feel worthy about ourselves. And they pull people away from our true self, right? See, as a non-believer, this becomes just a way of life, just, and it just becomes darker and darker over time because there is no light in that, in that arena, and there is no hope in that arena to lean into. But for somebody following Jesus, this just becomes justifiable in your life. And sometimes hard to wrap our heads around as we kind of move in life with our relationship, right? You know, I know God sees me. I know he does, but does he actually really care about me? Does he really see me differently than I actually see myself? And I know, I get it, I get it. I know God so loves the world, but does that really mean me too? And so how? How do, I, how do I move forward? I have all this sin in my life, and I, and I just keep sinning, right? I just keep repeating these unhealthy behaviors over and over and over. And I try to fix those behaviors, and I try to fix that sin. But it's the same song and dance over and over and over. So why even change in my life? And let me just live in this. I have become hooked on this lie. Maybe you have become hooked on this lie that you believe that you are not enough. And because of that belief, sin finds its power, especially when you hide. What does that mean, hide? Well, I mean hide behind that mask that you wear. And you hide and isolate behind that mask. The last time, if you remember, if you were here, I spoke, I said that the Bible speaks into two things. Uh, there's, there's a true side, and I spoke pretty heavily into that last time. As you can see, there's this theme of grace here this morning. And I'm going to speak into this this morning. It's going to be a little bit tougher for me because guess what I get to do? I get to be a little bit vulnerable for you, right? See, I I believe grace is the most important concept in the Bible because it really is the undeserved favor of God. And it's really the opposite of karma, right? We hear that word all the time, which is all about getting what you do deserve, But grace is really getting what you don't deserve and not getting what we actually deserve. And the Bible speaks into it three ways. There's a saving grace. There's a transforming grace, which is changing your heart from the inside out. And then there's an actual changing grace where we intentionally, as Jesus followers, have to do stuff in our life, right? And it's all through God's word. So that's where we're going this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll move forward. God, thank you. Just thank you. I pray this morning, as I have dealt with this issue for years and years and years in my own life, that, that God, you speak through these words this morning to somebody that needs to hear it. We thank you for this church, this place, as we continue to fulfill your mission of being a church of graceful people. God bless Reveal and the offering as we move forward, as we impact this community, for we ask in your name. Amen. On the screen, there's a, there's a chart, a little graph, and I think we do this about three or 4,000 times a day. 
where we begin to think of our thoughts, and our thoughts really create our feelings, and our feelings create our behavior, and then our behavior reinforces our thoughts. Hundreds, thousands of times a day, you do this in your head every day of your life. And so those negative thoughts about yourself create negative feelings. Those negative feelings create the behavior of you trying to meet that specific need, and meeting that specific need just really reinforces those thoughts, and you're on this endless cycle, right? Over and over and over and over again. Just recently, I had a guy at work come up to me and introduce me to a new co-worker. Um, I work at Grand Canyon, Lopes Up. Um, and so it was an RD, which is a resident director, and he was introducing me to an ARD, which is an assistant resident director. And he says, hey, so-and-so, this is Brent. Um, he says, hey, if he gives you more than two or three minutes of your time, you're lucky. I'm like, what? And all of a sudden, all of these things and patterns in my life started to flash back to when I was a young kid. Again, uh, uh, maybe it's because I don't want to give you my life because I'm afraid because I don't have enough to give you. I don't know what to give you because I'm, I'm not enough for you. I wasn't enough when I was a child. I wasn't enough when I, was, when I was an adolescent. I wasn't enough when I was a teenager. I wasn't enough when I was a young adult. I wasn't enough when I got married. I wasn't enough when I left my wife for about a week in our first year or first two years of marriage. I wasn't enough halfway through my marriage. When Marty asked me to speak, I, I wasn't enough. I don't know how many times that I've that I've said no to speaking engagements or no to interviews or no to things that I just feel like, what, what is it that I have that I can even offer you? I, I'm not even enough. One of the many verses that used to haunt me in my own life, you don't know a lot about my story, but when I, I grew up in church and pretty much when my mom stopped forcing me to go to church, I stopped going to church. And it's because I used to go to church and I used to fake like everybody else. We would be on our station wagon with the wood paneling, and maybe some of you know. And we would drive into the parking lot. And me and my brother just had a fist fight and our family's yelling at each other. And all of a sudden you pull into the parking lot, you open your doors, and it's like your whole world changes. Right? And it's like, oh, God bless you. God bless you. Have a good day. So good to see you all the way up. And I used to think, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this, is what, is this is what church is. And finally, I just said, I, I, don't, I don't want that part of my life. And this was one of probably, if I looked at my Bible back then, this was one of those many verses that captured me. And it says this in Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And at a first glance, this is really a difficult passage because it really seems to call us or do something impossible, right? Because nobody's perfect. That's what we all say. And I'm like, God, how can I, how can I live to that standard? How can anybody live to this standard? And since I can't live to that standard, why even try so that you can just be disappointed with me every day of my life? But as I began to walk and mature in my life with Jesus, and let's face it, I was seriously immature. And if you know this about me, I was 24 when I got married, going on 10 at least, right? And I'm still not there. I still haven't arrived. But I began to see the context of what Jesus was actually trying to say here because of Matthew 5, 48 He's not telling us that we must live this sinlessly perfect lives and that we must be like perfect, right, as God is. Because if we do, then we obviously have some real problems with some of those lies that we actually believe. 
But when Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he was saying, let your love, right? Let your love be complete as God's love. Because God loves all people, even the ones that aren't so cool, right? He loves even the evil ones because he created all. And this is how we are to be as God's perfect, really, as God, if we want to be as perfect as God. This passage plainly teaches that our attitudes towards ourselves, really, you've got to learn to love yourself first as well as love other people, must be the same as those as our Father in heaven. Because if not, we have no right to really claim to be his children. God made us perfect, and he sees us as perfect. And this is key. Even in our sin, church, he sees us as perfect and loves us. And that's really beautiful and amazing at the same time. So maybe you're saying in your head right now as I'm speaking, how does this grace thing work in my life? How does this grace thing work on my sin? How does this grace thing work with loving myself and loving others? And I'm glad you're asking that in your head. Because somewhere I believe in the middle of our pain and our struggles and the the lies that you believe to be true, Jesus taps us on the shoulder and says, I have something for you that cost me everything to get for you. And here it's a gift of grace for you. And written across that gift, right across the the top of that gift is this word in capital letters, and it spells out L-O-V-E. And the attached card goes something to say, something like this. It says, take this and apply it, and this is the key, church, and trust me to make it real for you. Some of us don't know what real love feels like, looks like, right? So if you want to know, where to find that, and how much Jesus loves you. I think the hottest song on the, on the billboard charts was long ago. It goes something like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And maybe you'd be surprised to learn that the gift of love is not really about lear- learning about how to love more or learning to love better. Because in God's world, receiving love comes before giving love, right? And we learn to love only when we first learn how to receive the love of God and to receive the love of others. As Scripture states, we love because he first loved us. There's a big difference between knowing about love versus experiencing love. Love gets thrown out there all day long, right? We love pizza, we love our house. We love our cars. We, then we try to say we love our spouses. Then we love my brother or my sister. And so we know love. But honestly, and this might be a little bit hard for some of you to hear, but I think some of the most disingenuous and useless relationships are those where the agenda is fixing someone else's life. It's like seeing ourselves as these scientists really seeking a solution for a disease in this twisted lab experience. You know how it goes, four hours of small group study plus 30 minutes of memorizing scriptures multiplied by this really great challenge, a little bit of conviction, and the demand to make the other person sin less and become more of a productive church member here or any church, right? And honestly, I got to say, what an absolute travesty of what Christ actually came for. But experiencing love, church, is so different because God wants us to live authentically and learning to trust his power and not our own. And he wants us out of hiding and being able to acknowledge really each other without any kind of performance or any kind of quotas, right? This, this is the real church. That's the real church. 
A place where messy people aren't fixing each other, but experiencing God's powerful healing in our lives and releasing us into a life worth living. And you can't do that by yourself. You can't change your heart, but you can trust God to do that. The message most people have gotten somehow from Christians or churches is come as you are, right, for at least six weeks. Then either conform to be like us, at least on the outside, or there's probably another church for you. So it's no wonder that if you ask the average person for a word association, the first thing that kind of pops into your mind when you hear the word Christian or church is this, and you've heard this, you're so judgmental, you're so mean, you're so angry, you're so intolerant, you're so hypocritical. And some of you, that fires you up. And I love that because I'm like, you're absolutely right. I'm angry, I'm intolerant, I'm hypocritical, I'm all of those things, but thank God I'm in church, right? Because I'm learning to get better, right? We're all still messy and we're all still a work in progress and that's okay. Let's stop fixing each other. How does this grace thing work in my life? How does grace really resolve our sin issues? This is where it starts. Being part of an environment of grace provides you and me with powerful virtues like this. Get these words, trust and acceptance and healing and safety and perspective and freedom and power that we never knew before. These realities really are foundational to resolving our sin issues in our life. And so how can we think differently using grace, right? How does grace help us think differently? Well, here's the first thing. I got four things I want to talk about, and then we're out of here. Humility attracts grace. Humility requires trust. That's really the core feature of humility. Humility believes that I can trust God to direct me, I can trust God to teach me, and I can trust God to protect me. But humility also believes that God has provided others in my life to do the same. And some of us push, right? Some of us push those people away because you've been hurt. I bet if I asked 100% of you, there'd be a huge percentage of, of your life that you've been hurt by the church, you've been hurt by people, and you just have a hard time trusting. Do you have those people in your life? And if you do, who are those people? Or do you hide behind the lie that I am not enough and you just don't allow others in because it's safe for you? So you isolate at home like everybody else in Arizona does, right? Pull into the garage, open up the garage door, pull in, garage door goes down, and you're like, who's my neighbor, right? Humility allows us to boldly trust how God sees us and specializes in resolving our sin and maturing us and freeing us into God's destiny for us. So humility attracts grace. The second thing is grace changes our life focus. When we begin to really follow Jesus, something actually happens in our life, right? And, and who we are as people. And following Jesus does not change, really, that we still have sin in our life, but it should change our perspective. And I put two things on the screens here, working on my sin issues and trusting who God says that I am. And you have to begin to ask yourself, what is my life focus because if these are two constants that go back and forth in your mind, you got to ask yourself, what is my life focus? Because if it's the top line, you will never experience the bottom line. But if our focus is on the bottom line, trusting who God says 
that we are, and we internalize that, then we begin to experience really unparalleled transformation regarding our sin issues. And to resolve our sin issues, we must begin trusting who God says that we are. Humility attracts grace. Grace changes our life focus. Grace lets God handle sin. And you're like, what does that mean? I feel that many Jesus followers today know that God loves them and wants to be with us. But I also believe that sin in our life has put us in this impossible mass between us and God. Believing that also plays into the lie that I am not enough. So let me illustrate this. Close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything weird or mystical. I just want you to picture this. So the only place I can go with this picture is a football field. So bear with me. So here's a football field, 100 yards long, 100 yards wide, but it's a lake. It's a polluted, dirty lake. And you're standing on one end, and somebody that you want to be with is standing on the complete other end. And you can't get to that person on the outskirts of it because there's thorns and there's, there's no real edge to kind of go through. And the only way you can get to that other person is that you have to walk through the middle of this polluted lake. You have no boat. You can't really wade in it. And to make things worse, there's there's poisonous snakes and amphibious eels in that lake. And so what do you do? And you go, I I, want to get to that other person. And the illustration is this. You are you, and that person on the other end is God, and they are far away from you, and you believe in your life that you can't get to them because you just keep dumping your sin into this huge lake because we just are trying to do better, and I want to make better, and I want to begin to strive and morally strive to do things differently. That's how we think, church. Moral striving To become godly only keeps us slaves to where we are. Striving will keep us in unresolved sin and really immature in our life. But this grace, right, this grace that we've been talking about teaches us to trust God that he can handle our sin. And only God, you can handle my sin because you say it in your word. And then our thoughts, if we can get to that point, run something like this. God, I can't handle my sin. I can't save myself. I can't change myself because I I truly am not enough. God, but you can. Thank you already for making me godly and seeing me as your masterpiece and for standing with me. Thank you, God, that there is no pile of sin and junk between us that I can't survive away or distant from you. God, I will continue to trust you for my next steps in life. Grace lets God handle sin. Lastly, Grace changes how we treat others and our sin issues. See, environments of grace are full of light, right? Great creates authenticity, and authenticity begins to melt our masks so that we can reveal our true face. And how many of you in Heal would just love to be yourself here at this place? This is me. I'm messy. I get that. This is who I am. This is what we should be saying as a church. We're messy, but you know, we're, we're transforming through God's power as we move forward. And let's stop fixing each other. We begin to live under grace. We begin to relate to others differently. 
We begin to experience true intimacy beyond what we've seen or experienced. And it's hard to do that in rows, church. But it's easy to do it in circles. Circles meaning getting into a group. Circles means put yourself out there somewhere where you're in a more intimate group of people you can trust and becomes part of your church. When we experience that, we go from I am not enough to I I am not enough, but he is enough, so therefore I am enough. We no longer see one another with our sin between us. We no longer see each other with the lenses of shame or blame or anger. There's no more competition with each other. And I got to tell you this, every time I speak, this, this is my thinking, this is my thinking, I wear this, this mic and I walk around the church and I can see people in my head as we're walking up and they see and they glance at this mic and in my mind I'm like going, I know what they're thinking, they're thinking, oh my gosh, he's speaking? <laughs> it plays into my mind of I am not enough. And just when you think you get it cracked in your life, right? It pops back in there. But today and in the past, I've grown and trust God more. I just kind of, for a second, think that and go, God, these are your words. This is your power. I'm just a vessel for you. I don't really care. We don't have to hide our real faces from each other. And we stand in front of each other with trust and safety And more importantly, you feel loved. Everybody wants to feel loved. Please don't tell me that that's not you. God created love. God created you in his image. So I know we all want to feel loved. As I close, one of the most comforting promises in all of Scripture is this, that it's impossible to be separated from God's love. It says it all through Romans 8, but more towards the last part of Romans 8. I ask you to read Romans 8, read the last part of Romans 8, and start believing in who God says that you are. Because this is really the center line of faith in Christ, that that God will choose anyone, I mean anyone, regardless of what they've done or how bad they've been or how much they've tried and failed, and he will move us from this sin cycle of shame and condemnation and death to this state of full acceptance as his adopted children. Church, don't be like me and run. Don't be like me and leave the church Don't be like me and wear this mask of this alpha male thing that you have all of this confidence in your life, but deep down inside, there's that thing that comes into your head and says, I'm not enough. And what happens if we did that together? What would that look like as a church? We didn't deserve grace, but we received that by the death and resurrection of Jesus, who says that, He is the only way, right? And then when we believe that, we believe that we are enough. See, I think God only wants one thing from us. He wants us to become more dependent on him. And honestly, that's the hardest thing in the world to do, especially for you control freaks, right? Because then you have to give up control of your life. I was a control freak, OCD, type quadruple A personality, right? I was all of those. And I finally just said, why fight that anymore? 
and your life transforms. You begin to be free because now you can live who God has intended you to live like. Hebrews 4.16 says this. It's on your screen. And this could be tough. It says, let us then with confidence. And another meaning for confidence in Greek is courage. Because that's where it starts, right? Let us then with courage. The next two words are draw near. Another word means to approach. So let us then with courage approach to the throne of grace, who is God and Jesus at the right hand, right? That we may receive mercy or compassion or kindness or love, patience, gentleness. What does that look like, right? Because the Bible is laced with with merciful and gracious information. All the way back in probably Genesis to Exodus, it says that God is slow to anger but steadfast in love. David speaks about it in his his Psalms that he is steadfast in love and he's merciful and he's gracious. So let us then with courage approach the throne of God, really, that we may receive compassion and find grace to help in time of need. And what does that time of need look like for you? I want to put that diagram back up. What would it look like for you if you began to believe the thoughts of God on your life? How that would create different feelings about yourself. How then your feelings would create way different behaviors about who you are because of what God says you are. And then that healthy behavior begins to reinforce those healthy thoughts in your life. That doesn't happen naturally. That happens by God's grace because he's given you the power and the meaning to do that. Church, you and I are enough. And I hope you say as we walk around from here, as we move on, I'm enough. I'm enough because I have Jesus, right? So I'm going to do something. It's kind of scary because it may play into the fact that I am not enough. But I don't care. So if, as I close in prayer, I want to ask you to do something. Maybe it may not be that courageous. But if, as you walked in this building, and whether it was through music, whether it was through that video, or where, whether it was through this message, if anything spoke to you, you're reflecting on, or you feel God's grace in your life is moving in some way, shape, I, I want you to stand. And I want, you to, I want you to turn backwards for all those of you there in front. And I want you to just look around. And I want you to see all of the people that are standing right now. Because I think oftentimes our mind goes to, I'm the only one that's dealing with this. I'm going to pray for you and with you as we close. God, thank you for these people. And thank you for all of the people in here. One of the most courageous things, God, is to give our life to you. Very courageous. And we need to come to you every day. Every day. Every day, God, because I think if we can get rid of the the negative thoughts about that sin gets in our way, God, when you say you forgive, 
and we come to you for our sin, and there is no lake between us. God, we are right next to you. You are right next to us. Help us to believe that. God, I love this church. I love the leadership. I love the opportunity that you give me to speak through your mouth. Thank you for allowing me to be a vessel. Thank you for continuing to work on my own life and my own heart. God, may you work on the lives and the hearts of these people as we move forward. So as I close, is there anything in your life right now that you want to change? The ones that are standing or the ones that are sitting. Is there anything in your life that you want to change? And what's one thing that you are willing to do this week to help you move forward in grace and to help you depend on God more? What does that look like for you? And all God's people said, amen. Blessings, guys. Have a great week. If any of you guys need prayer, there'll be someone up here to pray with. Um, You're feeling that? Come on up. Appreciate that.